Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started this morning. Father, we just thank You and praise You. We worship You, Lord, because You alone are worthy to be worshipped. We bow before You. We acknowledge Your greatness, Your majesty, Your awesomeness. We thank You, Father, for the privilege of being able to come to gather around the Word of God to be able to learn more about You. To learn of Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. Thank You, Father, for giving us Your Word to teach us how to have a relationship with You. Thank You for the privilege of having a relationship with You. Thank You, Father, that uh, even though we are unfaithful, You are ever faithful. Now, Father, as we begin this study in the harmony of the Gospels, to be able to learn more about our Lord and our Savior, I pray the Holy Spirit of God will be present with us to be the teacher. Guide us into your truth. Help us to unlearn things that we maybe we have learned erroneously, maybe not intentionally, but just because of the environment we grew up in. And open our eyes to the truth. Open our eyes of faith that we might see You and behold Your glory. Father, we long to know You better. We desire to grow closer to You. And we open ourselves up that we might allow You to fill us with Your love for You and for others. Lord Jesus, thank You for coming and showing us the Father. Thank You for coming and making it available that we might know You, the living God. And so, Father, I just pray that You will uh, uh, help us to be good students of Your Word and help us to apply truths to our life that will strengthen us in our walk with Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1 is going to be our text passage this morning, and we're going to begin to look at the pre-existence of Christ. In the study of the harmony of the Gospels, of course, in every narrative there is a beginning, and we need to be start at the beginning in order to come to a solid understanding of Jesus, and this is thus the purpose of our study of the harmony of the Gospels is to learn more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection. We want to take all four Gospels and put the pieces together to where we can get a uniform picture of our Lord and Savior. The... uh, Let me start by reading the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. Again, let me reiterate, this is not going to be a verse-by-verse study. It's just going to be thoughts, topical, basically. Uh, There may be some verse-by-verse along the way, but uh, for the most part, we're going to group things together and get a, a... an informative look at what the Bible has to say to us. But in John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things are cre- were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, <clears throat> excuse me, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father he has declared him. Now, if you take notice, uh, verse 17 refers to Jesus Christ, and that's what this entire passage is referring to. It's referring to the person, Jesus Christ. And see the, the different ways that he is mentioned and how he is described as being the Word. He's being life. He's being, he is the light. He is grace and truth and mercy. Uh, those things are speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a, a, a statement that I want you to understand and I want you to grab hold of that sometimes we fail to uh, get. And I, I got this from the Chronological Study Bible, which I'm going to use quite a bit through this study. Very helpful. Uh, but here's uh, in the notes, this is something that they brought out, which I thought very powerful. There was a time when Jesus of Nazareth did not exist. But there never was a time when the Word did not exist. So when it says Jesus of Nazareth, it's talking about physical... The human embodiment Jesus. The incarnate. That means that He was before, before He came to the earth. That means that He is God, just like John 1, 1 and 2 tells us, that in the beginning was the Word. He was with God. He was God. Why do we call Jesus the Word? Because He is the Word. And the I Am. And the I Am. I understand I Am. But Word means... Okay, let let me put it like this. 
Jesus Christ. And this is my interpretation of this. Jesus Christ is the personification of everything that God the Father has to say to us. He is the embodiment of the message that God the Father wants us to know about Him. So He's bringing the Word of God to us. He is the Word. He is bringing the Word. He, in Genesis chapter 1, when we taught Genesis, we learned that God said and it was done. But then we find when we correlate Scripture to Scripture, we also find like we just read in John 1, one of the places, and then Colossians is another place in other areas, that by Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. He made all. So if God said and it was done, Jesus Christ is the Word that went out and made it happen. Now He is the embodiment of the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of this in the study that we're going to have to say and come to agree that it goes like this. There's a lot about God we will never able be able to grasp. But in faith, we hold on to it. Because thus saith the Lord. Whether we understand it or not, if God said it, it's true. Whether we believe it or not, if God said it, it's true. So we need to come to realize that uh, one of the things that, that I want to bring out this morning is the pre-existence of Christ. He was in the beginning. He is the beginning. Whenever Genesis 1.1 starts by saying, In the beginning God, there was Jesus, the Christ, before the Incarnation. He was... Quite honestly, He was Spirit just like the Father was Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit is Spirit. He did not gain the body until the incarnation of His birth through Mary. And we'll get to that a little later. But today, we need to come to understand that uh, that the Word became incarnate, which means He took on the form of flesh. The, the, the Christ, the Word, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to go in more depth a little bit later, but Jesus Christ was 100% God, and He's 100% man. You cannot separate the two. He wasn't part God and part man. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He had two complete natures. Now don't let that shock you because if you are a child of God, so do you. Because the Bible tells us that if you are a child of God, you have been made to be partakers of the divine nature. So if the divine nature is in us, we still, because we have not been glorified, we still have the the fleshly nature. So now we also have two natures. Thus the reason, Galatians says, that the flesh wars against the spirit they're, they're battling each other because one wants to do wrong, one wants to do right. So the two natures. The Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God. Okay? God can be known through the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Number one thing we need to remember is that Jesus Christ is eternally God. He didn't become God after the resurrection. He didn't become God here on earth. He was God in what I like to say eternity past. I don't know if that's really a thing because with God it's all present. God is eternal. He's ever present. He's present in the future. He's present in the past. He's present in the present. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time, everywhere. But Jesus the Christ is eternally God. And God so loved the world. God the Father so loved the world that He sent His Son, He gave His Son, He sent His Son, Christ, the Word, to this earth in order to allow us to provide for us a way to come into a personal and intimate relationship with Holy God. We, sinful man, and I say man in general for mankind, that's men and women, all of humanity... We cannot approach holy God on our own, on our own merits. We are unholy. In fact, the Bible teaches us that even the very righteousness that we can do, the best things that we could ever imagine that we can conjure up, that we are able to to achieve the very best things are nothing more than filthy rags in the sight of God. Because He is holy, we are not. Therefore, God, because He loves us, desired a relationship with us, He Himself had to make a way for us to come to Him. Thus His Son coming to the earth. Eternally God. God, out of love, sent His Son. God, out of love, came to us. So it's right to say God the Father. It's right to say God the Son. Because the Son is God. We just read it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Not that He stopped being God. He was always God. Eternally. Eternity past. Yes, sir. When Adam bit the apple, he gave this world to the devil. Adam and the only way the title deed can be transferred back to God requires the death of God. And when Jesus died, God died when Jesus died and bought back everything. You're going to jump to John 1 to John 20. All in, all in 30 minutes. That's alright. That's good. But yes, Jesus Christ came for a purpose. And it was to reconcile us unto Himself first and foremost. And therefore, and then also to buy back what, uh, that, uh, what uh, Adam had lost. Somebody had a question or something? John. John. Yeah. 
You need to do it a little bit higher, man. Because <laughs> you know the distraction. Again, in the Word, is that that's the Trinity: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many uh, churches are are saying there's no, they don't believe in the Trinity. So right. Stumble blocks me on okay. the Word uh, meaning. Okay. We'll get into the Trinity in just a minute, but yes, that is all inclusive. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word God. There's the same word in Genesis one. Uh, where it says in the beginning God that's Elohim all inclusive same word that was used in John 1 uh, Genesis 1 and verse 27 when he says God said let us make man us plural God uh, referring to God Elohim and it's referring to the Trinity uh, the Father Son and the Holy Spirit so the opening statement of John emphasizes the internality, the eternal divinity, the pre-existence of Christ. And we need to get a hold of that because too many times we lose sight, I feel, we lose sight of His deity. We, and I understand the, the need and the importance of the Gospel writers to stress His humanity, but sometimes when we grab hold of His humanity, we lose sight of His deity at the same time. There are uh, denominations, there are cults that teach that Jesus was not the Christ, the deity. He was just a good prophet, a good man, a good teacher, good moral upstanding citizen or whatever. Anything but deity. But we need to understand biblically that Jesus, the Christ, is God in the flesh. Now, notice if you would, uh, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, <clears throat> that is referring to, and I'm going to give you a, a real big word here that I learned in, in college. That is referring to the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is what I've already described, that deity and humanity come together. They don't, it's not half and half, it's 100% both ways. The hypostatic union of Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt means tabernacled. Uh, he, he became flesh he, and, and He tabernacled among us. And it's, it's making reference to the tabernacle in the Old Testament when God told Moses on Mount Sinai to build this tabernacle. And, and in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies was placed. And there the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And there on the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat with the cherubims uh, over it, guarding it. But the Bible says and teaches us that God dwelt there at the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat uh, there at the Ark of the Covenant and that's where Moses and later the high priest would come and shed the, spread the blood, the innocent blood that was shed for the remission or for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel. And that's where Moses met and talked with God uh, in the Old Testament. So uh, he dwelt there. He tabernacled. 
now the, the Christ, the Word, tabernacles Himself in flesh. He comes and lives within the flesh of man. The importance of that is, as Leonard has already alluded to, is that the wages of sin is death. Back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, and, and whether it was an apple or an orange or a fig or whatever it was, fruit was irrelevant. The, the most important thing was they disobeyed God. And they fell into sin. And the, the, the penalty of sin was placed upon them and all of humanity because after that, they began to have children in their image. They inherited the sin nature. We inherited the sin nature all the way through because of Adam. Now, uh, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, in our study, we and I'm not going to relive that uh, in, in detail, but God the Father offered a sacrifice, shed the innocent blood of a lamb in order to teach Adam and Eve the gospel of, of redemption that was to come uh, from the seed of the woman later, way generations later down the line. And as the result is that He taught the innocent had to pay for the sins of the guilty. Now, an animal could not pay for the sins of man because it was two different animals, two different creatures, two different creations. It had to take a man to pay for the sins of man. And just any man would not be able to pay for the sins of man because we're all guilty. The Bible teaches that we're all guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the only acceptable sacrifice in order to pay for our sins, for my sin, for your sin, would be an innocent man, an innocent human that had never sinned. Therefore, they were able to take my place, your place, in order to suffer and endure the wrath of God to pay in full the sin debt that we owe. The wages of sin is death. And the man had to die. It also, he also had to shed his blood, his innocent, sinless blood, because without the shedding of blood, Leviticus 17.11 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the innocent, sinless man would have to shed his innocent, sinless blood in sacrificial uh, position for you and I to take our place for us to receive the forgiveness of sin. Because then God the Father pour out His wrath upon that innocent person and everything that we deserve would be given to Him and the price would be paid in full. Thus the Lord Jesus Christ cried out, It is finished. Now, because of that, yes sir, this may be an oversimplification, but the wages of sin is death. Did Jesus sin? No. No. So when Satan took Jesus' life, he took that which he had no right to. He exceeded his authority. 
he stole an innocent life. And that's the door, that narrow door, that is open for us when we accept that death as our just due. We're recreated new creatures in Christ spiritually. Okay. I'm going to add just another something uh, with that. Instead of the devil taking his life, Jesus said, I lay down my life for the friends. He gave it himself. So, you know, I just. Jesus did it willingly, but Satan took that which he had no right Right. to. Yeah. But we find that that, uh, because of the, the the death of Christ paying our sin debt, now God the Father, the just and righteous judge, can offer us forgiveness. He would not be just and righteous if he just says, Okay, John, I'm just going to forget about everything you did. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But what he does, he says, John, or whomever, and I'm picking on you because you're right there. <laughs> That'll teach you to sit in the front. <laughs> sit in the front row. <laughs> but, uh, but what God the Father does is he looks at John who is deserving of the wrath of God and as he's about to pronounce judgment on John Jesus steps up and says Father let me take his place I took his place on the cross here's my blood here's my sacrifice here's my offering and because of what Jesus did now the righteous judge can say the sin has been paid for the crime has been paid for now because of your faith and your relationship with Jesus my son I now forgive you of all your sin it's not because we have earned forgiveness it's not because we're now good enough it's not because we've done anything to receive that it's all because of what Jesus has done for us in his substitution and he only could do that through coming from heaven to earth in order to take our place as a man. The only way he could have done that, number one, he had to be human in order to die. To die physically. In the physical aspect, the humanity of Jesus, he endured, he suffered everything that we go through. He knew what pain was. He knew what thirst was. He knew what growing weary was. He knew what was being tired, being uh, having to deal with stress. He had a lot of... He didn't stress, understand, but he was faced with a lot of stressful things. But he trusted, he faith. He was faithful. He didn't worry. But he knew all that. And he also knew what it was to experience physical death. But he also had to be 100% God. Because God Himself had to pay for our sin debt. And God was able in control of what all was going on. When we study the crucifixion aspect later on in the study, we'll see that every aspect of the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ was in control because He was busy fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that was laid out years and thousands of years before He ever came. He even said beforehand, I lay down my life. He also said, I, it is finished. And then He said, I give my spirit back unto you, Father. And He breathed His last. He was in control of His life. He was in control of His death. And it was that because 
He came to do a work for you and I so we could have redemption, forgiveness of sin. The pre-existence of Christ, His deity. He is deity. He was deity before uh, the virgin birth. He was deity after the virgin birth and through His public ministry on earth. And He is deity now as sitting at the right hand of the Father. And here's, here's something to put in your thinking cap. Before the incarnation, Jesus did not have a body before the virgin birth. Since the virgin birth, He has had a body. And in heaven, He will have that same glorified body. Because we will see Him face to face. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm looking for that day. And the prince in His hands. I think He'll have bear the scars of grace. He'll bear the scars of mercy. He'll bear the scars of the crucifixion. So we will forever, forever, forever be reminded of why we are enjoying the presence of God in heaven and not suffering in hell. Every time we look at Christ, I think we'll probably cry out, Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Because of what You did for me, I'm now enjoying what I'm blessed here with today. Thank You, Lord Jesus. The deity of Christ. God wants us to know how much He loves us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling to the world unto Himself. It was God working together. The Trinity, all of us, all of them was working for the redemption of man. And I have nowhere, no idea where I am in my notes. <laughs> So, here's what we. No, 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 <laughs> sir. You you raised your hand a while ago. I'm sorry. I, I was about three stations ahead. Okay. Am I catching up? Am I catching up? No, you passed me. So. Let's 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 look just a moment. I, that, that, that John brought out a good thing about the Trinity of God. Let me let me uh, review, if if I could, for those of you that have went through the study of the Gospel of John with me. These are going to be some similar notes that I shared with you during that study. I want to reiterate those today to help us to kind of hopefully understand, give us some thoughts about the Trinity of God. And let me again start off by saying there are some things, some truths, some doctrines in the Word of God that we're just going to have to take by faith and it is beyond our human comprehension and understanding apart from the Holy Spirit of God enabling us to grab hold of it. And Trinity is one of them. Um, let me just kind of go through my notes with you concerning the Trinity of God. There are numerous mysteries concerning God that pose difficulties of comprehension for the human mind. One such difficulty is the Holy Trinity. Although the term Trinity is not specifically used in the Bible, the idea is represented throughout Scripture. 
Trinity is the term used to describe the triunity or the three-in-oneness of God. That God is three persons, yet one God. All throughout the Scriptures, we see that reiterated time and time again. There is one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, and it's reiterated throughout Scripture. But in throughout Scripture, it also is teaching and it, it gives us the picture of the tri, tri, the trinity of the tri, triunity or the three in oneness of God. By using the term trinity, it is meant that there are three eternal distinctions in the one divine essence known respectively as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem uh, defines the doctrine of the trinity as God eternally exists in three persons, as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, human mind can't grasp that. We have to refer to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, 1, in that the Holy Spirit is, is the one that helps natural man to receive the things of the Spirit of God. We have to lean on the Holy Spirit to help us to understand any of the Word of God, but especially difficult truths as these. Christianity holds to a monotheistic view of one God. This one God subsists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The affirmation of this doctrine, the distinctions, and the unity of the Trinity are revealed in numerous passages of Scripture. One cannot read the Bible and escape the truth that the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Yet they are equally God. Each one possesses all the divine attributes attributed to God, and each are ascribed distinctive properties of personality. They each have their distinctive roles and yet remain complete unity and harmony. Though complex, the doctrine of the Trinity is worthy of attention and meditation. <clears throat> Dr. Bruce Ware offers ten reasons why Christians should focus on the wonder of the Trinity. I'm just going to go through these kind of quickly. It is the most important distinguishing doctrines of the Christian faith. This doctrine is both central and necessary for the Christian faith to be what it is. True worship consciously acknowledges the relationship and roles of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our prayer life should be to the Father through the Son and in the power of the Spirit. The Christian sanctification is rightly understood and enriched. The triune relationship causes us to marvel at the unity of the triune God. The triune relationship causes us to marvel at the diversity within the triune God. The triune relationship causes us to wonder at the social relationship of the triune God. The triune relationship causes us to marvel at the authority submission structure that exists eternally in the three persons of the Godhead, each of whom is equally God. And last but not least, this doctrine provides one of the most important and neglected patterns of how human life and human relationships are to be conducted. 
Scripture establishes the existence of the Trinity within the first verse and the first chapter of the book of Genesis. In the beginning God created. The Hebrew name God chooses to identify himself with is Elohim. The basic meaning of this name is strong one and is in the plural form. Again, you have to remember that it was originally written in Hebrew or Greek, the Bible. So they, that language, those languages have different connotations than does the English language. They can, uh, by the changing of one letter in a word, it can put a, transform to a whole new meaning. So uh, that you need to understand. Name, yes. That, that name is denotes that there's more than one person. Uh, I mean, it's plural form. It's, it's, it's plural. plural. So that means Elohim means like we. And that's the us. Hebrew word for Elohim. God. God. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> right. The existence of the triune Godhead is reinforced in Genesis 1.26 when God uses the plural pronouns us and our in speaking of Himself. Other verses of Scripture use similar pronouns. Genesis 3.22 Genesis 11 verse 7 Isaiah 6 and verse 8 Within the Old Testament Scriptures the Son is distinguished from the Father as in Psalm 110 and verse 1 Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The Holy Spirit is distinguished in Isaiah 63.10. Elohim indicates plenitude of power and majesty and allows for the New Testament revelation of the triune Godhead. The New Testament offers clearer revelation of the Trinity of God. The Father is recognized as God. In John 6 and verse 27, Jesus refers to God the Father. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 of God the Father. Jesus prays to the Father in the 17th chapter of John. Jesus' prayer acknowledges the distinction between Himself and the triune Godhead in John 17 and verse 3. In John 1, 1 refers to Jesus Christ as God. Thomas confessed Jesus as my Lord and my God in John 20 and verse 28. In Titus 2 and verse 13, it speaks of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. New Testament scriptures ascribe all the attributes of God to Jesus Christ. The descriptions of God found in the Old Testament are applied to Jesus. The creation and the sustaining of all things are ascribed to Him. Jesus receives worship and honor due only to God. The Holy Spirit is recognized as God in the New Testament Scriptures. Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as God in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Paul acknowledges the believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Like Jesus, the attributes of God are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is credited for doing the works of God and associated as equal with God. There are several passages within the Bible which identifies the triune Godhead. At the baptism of Jesus, as recorded in the third chapter of Matthew, the relationship of the Trinity is evident. The Father is heard speaking from heaven regarding His pleasure in His Son, 
Jesus is being baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ. In Christ's final commission to His followers in Matthew 28:19, He distinctly makes reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John 14 and verse 26, Jesus comforts His disciples by informing them that His Father would be sending to them the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul ends the second epistle to the Corinthians with his benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Grudem suggests three different persons of the Trinity are one only in purpose and in agreement on what they think but they are one in essence one in their essential nature in other words God is only one being there are not three gods there is only one God so I know that was a lot on the Trinity a lot that to absorb but hopefully you receive something that will benefit you and, and give you some thought uh, concerning the Trinity. And I think it is important that we understand that there is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because we see all three portrayed within the Gospels in the harmony of the Gospel. We're going to look at all three as we go through this. But our focal point and the focal point of the Gospels is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself because He is the one that is going to be fulfilling the redemptive role for mankind. And it was the Father working with the Son and the Holy Spirit working with and through the Son that is going to uh, bring to fruition our redemption and our ability to be able to recognize and have a relationship with God the Father. Robert? Yes. In the beginning. When was the beginning? When? Now, we know the beginning of the earth and when Jesus came, but when was the beginning? In one, year one. Day one, day, day one of year one. Yeah. That's when she, they started counting Jesus' time with Jesus. No, no. Hmm. no, no, no. Way, Jesus. Oh, yeah, B.C. Oh, yeah, B.C. But, I mean, in our day. But when? Oh, all right. I wasn't there, Miss Donna. I don't know when it was. My, my little six-year-old grandson called me from Houston and said, Grammy, my mama and daddy don't know the answer to this. Who create? Who made God? God always was. No one made God. If God, if if someone made God, then that would be God. They would be higher than God. God always has been. That's another one of those. So. Hold on, say. Hold on. Hold on, just a second. Yes, ma'am. Say, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. Conundrum. Okay. Okay. Conundrum. Who is that? 
Let's move on. <laughs> so, Jesus' deity. Are we, uh, we have a fairly good grasp that Jesus is God and He was God before He became Jesus? You got a hold of that? Uh, all right, I'm, I'm not seeing any deer in headlights. You're accepting it by that. I see that. I see. I just want to make sure because I sure don't want to move on unless everybody's got this. Because because if you don't have this, the rest of it's not going to mean anything. The rest of it's not going to make sense to you. We need to grab hold. God, Jesus is God in the flesh coming to do a work that only God can do for us who cannot do any work. Yes, sir. And I vote for that. Amen. Uh, the repercussion of what you just said means that the Old Testament and the New Testament are all about Jesus. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. And if you understand, if you if you grab hold of that, all of a sudden the Old Testament starts having meaning to it. That's right. The pieces start to fall together. Exactly. Exactly. The uh, you've heard me say this before, and I'll reiterate it again today. I repeat that today, is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Okay. And as Brother Ron said, is Jesus is the focal point all throughout from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. Even to the maps, Jesus is the focus. So, if he, if he was the Word at the beginning, and He is the Word at the end, He's the Word everything in between. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But He so, tell you His Pardon? Jesus says Himself that it's all about Him. Exactly. But there's so many stories in the Old Testament. That about lying and cheating and uh, adultery and murder and how do you bring Jesus? That's why we needed Jesus. Well, there's a there's a lot of stories in the New Testament about lying and cheating and adultery and, and murder. And guess what? The grace of God and the mercy of God is seen in every one of those. That's why it's a happy book because. We can be forgiven. When Amen. We, Amen. When we when we come, repent and come to Christ, right. we but can be. You know, you know the reason this book is so accurate to me. You know, mm. all the religions in the world, the Muslims, the Hindus, this and that. There's no way they would take their book, their Bible, whatever you call it. And put some of the things in it that's in this book. That's right. They call Christ what a lunatic, demons. Well, man would want to only reveal the good part about man if man wrote the book. But God reveals everything. God reveals everything. But He also reveals it for the purpose, number one, of encouraging us that when we realize our own sinfulness and wickedness, that God, there's hope in Christ in a relationship. It's also revealing His holiness, our sinfulness. There's a lot of things that reasons why God gave us this book 
but he it all comes down to the fact that he is bringing our attention to our need for him and how we can come to him through Christ. So, Jesus' deity, utmost importance as far as our understanding of the Gospels and of the Word of God itself, actually. Well, let's look at Jesus the Creator for just a moment in this in this passage. Ah, uh, well, I know I'm not going to have time. Two minutes. You better wait till next time. I might have a question. If you don't, Donna does. Goodbye, goodness. Well, let's. I may have some more on the deity. So let's. Uh, do what? I know it. I know it. When. Uh, just one more thought on, on the deity of Christ and the incarnation of Christ. And of course, we'll get into it more in the next two or three lessons. But whenever John 1 in verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that is reference to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Virgin Mary. And it, that is important too, and we'll go in more detail when we get to that, that time frame in the harmony of the Gospels. But it's important to note that the Word became flesh, but He did not become sinful flesh. He took on the form of man, humanity, without sinful nature. The reason being because Joseph was not his father. He was conceived in the womb by the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father. He just came and somehow or another miraculously placed himself in the womb of Mary. You say, well, how in the world did that happen? Will you explain to me how a baby can happen? And I know the, you know, the gist of it, but I don't understand how it can happen. You ask your father that. No, she, she can't tell me. What I'm saying is, how does one life beget another life? How does a life grow inside of the womb of another individual and yet and then become a life? It's a miracle of God. It is a miracle. It is a miracle of God. With man is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. That's what he told Mary and Elizabeth. And that's what we need to understand that when Christ, when the Lord, the Word became flesh to dwell among us. He came as man, but not sinful man. He did not have the sin nature that we do. You say, well, then He couldn't sin. Well, He was God, but He was tempted. He still had humanity. He still grew weak and hungry and weary. And so He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. (laughs) That's why He was able to be the substitute for our salvation. 
because he was sinless and perfect. He was the perfect Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't just cover it as in the word of atonement in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ took away the sin of the world on himself because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might not become the righteousness of God in him. That's substitution. That's trading places. That's what Jesus Christ came to do for us. So, the deity of Jesus. Pre-existence. Point number one done. We'll, point, we'll, we'll start with number two next week, Lord willing. So let's pray. Father, thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the questions. Thank You for the discussion. Thank You for the, 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 the thoughts, the, the, the things to think about and meditate upon. Thank You, Lord, that You loved us enough to take on humanity in order to that we can relate to You and that You could relate to us and that, that we can have that connection and that relationship. Thank You for Your love and grace. Now, Father, I just thank You for the service we're about to enter into. I pray that You'll be with the music and that we might walk in in an attitude of worship and praise to You. And Lord, I pray that our pastor, as he brings the Word of God, You'll speak to every one of us. And may our hearts be receptive and obedient to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.